0: Right yeah this is this is one of the more horrible things I 've ever done when I was a kid, right? This was like elementary school, right um, there was one, I had like one really good friend, um, and his name was Matt Stoddard, right. And Matt was an awesome guy. He was funny, and and he was like nice to me, which was kind of a rarity. And uh, we were buds, right? And we hung out all the time at school, but never outside of school, right? And um, anyway, uh, Matt was a really popular guy in uh, third grade because he had a trampoline at his house. You know what I'm saying? Right? And so everybody wanted to be buds with Matt right? And everybody's like, hey, Matt, how's it going, man? Can I come to your house? And he's like, no, you only want to come to my house for the trampoline. And, and so like, he wouldn't do it. But, but we were friends. And I remember one day I just broke and I was like, man, I've never jumped on a trampoline before because, you know, we grew up poor. Like our trampoline was like the mattress that my dad threw out in the backyard. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right. But I wanted to jump on a real trampoline and see if I could do flips and stuff. Right. And, and so I was like, hey, Matt, uh, do you think your mom would be cool if, like, I spent the night and I totally invited myself over to his house, right? And, and it worked. Like, I got to spend the night at his house, and it was awesome. And his mom, like, cooked, like, pancakes in the morning with chocolate chips and then, like, spent the rest of the day, like, over-sugared and, like, jumping on the trampoline. And it was, like, successful. I got to do what I wanted to do, jump on Matt soldered trampoline, right? And I remember... We were jumping up and down, bounce on it, and he goes, Man, Christopher, I'm glad that you came over to hang out. Most people just want to hang out with me to jump on my trampoline, but not you. (laughs) Yep. And my little, like, eight-year-old heart broke. Because I realized, what I realized that I had done something horrible, Right? I had used him just to jump on a trampoline, right? And and even at eight years old, I knew that's not how friendship worked. That's not how friendship works, right? There's something like, even at that young age, I could tell there was something that I I had violated something sacred, right? And so tonight, we're going to talk about that. Tonight is not going to be a fun message. I know, I'm sorry. Tonight is not going to be fun. Because we need to talk about something as a body of Christ, as friends and family in Chi Alpha. We need to talk about what it means to be friends. Okay? So, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Or open your Bible apps or Google. All these will work. And if you don't have your bibles I have it right there up on the screen. All right. John is writing to one of his churches and this is what he says. He says, "Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his own one and only son into the world that he might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe this is really important. And I believe that you have placed this on my heart to share. So God, I pray that you would make it shareable, Lord. You would help us receive what you've given us. Lord, give me the right words to speak and give us the right ears and hearts to hear. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, when uh, my family and I, when we went overseas, for those of you that don't know, um, I was a, my family and I, we were missionaries in the Czech Republic for two years. Czech Republic is a small kind of country in the middle of Europe that like, you've probably never heard of and will probably never visit. But it's a beautiful place and you should go if you can, right? But uh, as part of the, the program before we left, we had to do a little bit of training, right? Like they, you, you want to learn about the culture and differences to, so that you don't go over there and embarrass Jesus, essentially, right? You know? um, and so one of the things that we talked about, one of the, things, the classes that I had to sit through was the sociological differences between America and Europe. Doesn't that sound fun? Yeah, yeah, it's like, man, I can't wait, Right. And one of the big things that I took away from that was the difference in mindsets between the average American and the average European, right? The average American college student at that time had a mindset of pursuing pleasure, right? The average American would would suffer through things, would, would pay upfront costs if they thought that it would gain them long term. Does that make sense? I'll go to college and go into debt because it means later I can get a good job, right? I'll go to those first couple awkward dates because later she might make out with me, right? You see what I'm saying? Pursuit of pleasure. But in Europe, it was a little bit different. Whereas Americans were a little bit more front foot, the Europeans, and this was especially true in the Czech Republic, the European kind of mindset was avoidance of pain. Avoidance of pain. I will not do things that would shame me, embarrass me, or hurt me. I'm not going to talk to that stranger because they might be mean. Whereas the American would say, I'm going to go have a conversation with them because they might be cool. Does that make sense? Do you all see the difference? But what has happened recently, and especially with this generation, is that the, the mindset has shifted more European. Where your generation is more likely to avoid pain than to pursue pleasure. Does that make sense? All you have to do is scroll through somebody's Instagram feed to get this. Right? Cut out toxicity, right? Oh, they're toxic, girl. Get them out of your life. Avoid pain. And what this is, is this is the philosophy of happiness. It's what it's called, the philosophy of happiness. It's been taught from the ancient Greeks like Diogenes and and, and, uh, uh, Democritus, all the way down to your Instagram influencers and social media influencers, right? This, This philosophy has been preached consistently in the West, right? And it can be summarized simply as do what makes you happy. This philosophy can be summarized simply as do what makes you happy. And the reason I'm talking about this is because this is the water that we swim in. This is the philosophy that has soaked and permeated our culture so that we may not think or consider about the depths at which this has affected us. Does that make sense? It's like asking a fish to describe water. How do you do that? How do you describe air? It's it's there. I don't know. Right? So I want to take the time to talk about that. The pursuit of pleasure, the avoidance of pain, the prime concept is do what makes you happy. Does that make sense? This has been applied to every facet of our lives, whether we like it or not. From career choices to college choices to friendships and to our religion, do what makes you happy. When we apply this to things like careers and college, it makes total sense. Why did you come to Angelo State? Because it felt right. Because I liked the campus. Because I liked the mascot. <laughs> they had my degree. It pleased me. Why do you choose the career path that you're on? Because I like it. I enjoy it. How many times have you heard a career guidance counselor tell you, follow your passion. Follow your passion. Right? Do what makes you happy. But the problem is when we apply this to friends and religion, we run into problems. When applied to religion... What it does is it reduces God to, to one kind of biopic view, right? Either you see God as a strict drill sergeant or as some kind of weird Santa Claus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Where you will do something that God wants you to do because you want him to bless you and make you happy. Or you will avoid doing things because you don't want God to be angry at you and avoid the pain that might come into your life. Does that make sense? I'm not going to go into that bar because God says that's sinful and I don't want God to be mad. Because I'm at the center of the universe. I'm going to read my Bible in the morning because that makes God happy. And I want Him to bless me. We follow rules, avoid actions, or perform certain deeds in order to either be blessed... Or avoid punishment. We do what makes us happy. Essentially what happens is we reduce the gospel and the sacrifice of Jesus down to a mechanism to either bless us here on earth or in heaven after we die. Or to avoid curse here on earth in eternal damnation after we die. So God is either someone ready to smite you for doing something wrong... Or pull a pretty wrapped package out of his big sack and hand it to you when you've been a good little girl or boy. But the the travesty of it all is that you're doing it to make you happy. Do you understand? But what's worse is the present issue. And the reason I am speaking on this tonight is because too many of us here in Kiafa have applied this expedient philosophy of happiness to our friendships. We do not love one another. We do not love one another. I have had too many conversations over the last month that have ended in tears, in brokenness, because of how we treat one another. And as we move forward, if you feel as though I am speaking to your specific, in, in, uh, specific situation, let me assure you that I am. I am targeting you on purpose. Because we need to change. What too many of us have done is fallen for the lie that the world has told us. That you need to do something that makes you happy. It's a lie. Your happiness is not the prime objective and prime product of the universe, it is a byproduct. Your happiness is not something that is attained or won, your happiness is not found or discovered, and it cannot be protected or defended. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 24, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for his sake will save it. Your happiness cannot be won or attained, and it cannot be defended or protected because it is not about your happiness. Do you understand? It is not about the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain. And the only way to maintain that philosophy consistently through your life is to protect your heart. And the best way to protect your heart or the way for your heart to remain perfectly safe and pristine is for it to be embalmed, entombed, and buried. So to seek to save your life, you will lose it. The only way to avoid pain is to avoid others and isolate yourself. And the only way to pursue pleasure in relationships, in friendships, is to ultimately use others as mere objects. And that's what we have done. We have used the people around us for our own benefit. Some of us have jumped from life group and small group to others because it wasn't quote the right fit. <coughs> we weren't happy. So I left. Some of us have pursued many people for small groups and built these large small groups. But we're a mile wide and an inch deep. Because we wanted to look good and win that sweet, sweet social approval to make us happy. Some of us have turned our backs on roommates because there was uncomfortable conflict. And we wanted to avoid pain. So we broke leases. We moved out. We left people high and dry. Some of us have treated our friends and small group members as projects to fix them. Because fixing someone makes you look good and makes you look holy. And we want to look good because it's about me being We are using people. We act as though we really do care for people, but only because that is the unwritten rule of the Chi Alpha social clique. We want to be accepted. We want to be happy. Some of us want to quit Chi Alpha altogether. For lots of different reasons. Some are justified and some are not. But essentially what we are saying is we don't think helping others grow or concern for another person's personal eternity is worth the trouble you may give me. How dare we? Some of us have lost small group members, suffered broken relationships, ended friendships, and we don't understand why they ended But let me point you to a biblical truth. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Like we say, you don't break God's laws. They break you. They did not value your friendship, your relationship... Because deep down, you probably didn't value them. You made it easy for them to walk away. But you may be thinking, but I told them that we're friends. I told them that that I loved them. I told them that I cared. But I promise you, your choices did not reveal that. Talk is cheap. It does not matter what has come out of your mouth because your choices reveal your value. We have shown one another that we really and actually don't value and care about one another by the choices we make. Man, if you're new here, I'm really sorry. If you run screaming out of the door, I don't blame you because this doesn't sound like a place I wanna be. Your choices reveal what you value, not your words, your choices. And if you choose to walk away from somebody because they're too much trouble, because they, ca- they make you uncomfortable, Because they don't make you as happy as you think you should be. It reveals what you value. In John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. I want everyone to stop taking notes for just a moment. Look around you. There are probably empty seats that were once filled with people. There are probably people here that once sat sat next to you, but now sit on the other side of the sanctuary. And let me ask you, did we keep this new command of Jesus? The empty chairs testify against us. But here's the real crux of it for me I'm sorry. Ultimately, I am responsible for this. And I have failed you all. I pray that you will forgive me. See, I spent so much time telling you how to love somebody. It's an unselfish choice for the highest good for another person. It's like become a mantra. But I I never told you why you should love someone. At least, at least I didn't tell you enough. George MacDonald says this, To give truth to him who loves it not... Is but to give him more plentiful material for misinterpretation. Let me say that again. To give truth to him who loves it not is but to give him more plentiful material for misinterpretation. I gave you information, but no application. It's the difference between intelligence and wisdom, right? Intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. See, what I failed you in is that I failed to remind us and I failed to tell us that no matter what a person does for you or says to you, whether you ever get any benefit out of the relationship or even if you only receive discomforts, The reality is that we must love other people simply because they are worth loving. Not because they do anything for us. Not because they help us pursue pleasure or avoid pain. But because they are worth it. Do you understand? So let me ask you, where do people derive this value? If not from how they make us feel. Because feeling is present, and feeling is all I have right now. But there's more reality than just what you feel. Each and every one of us bears the image of God. And sometimes it's buried under layers of rottenness and sin and selfishness, but it's there. It exists nonetheless. And because of that, they are worthy of your time and your care and your love. They are worthy of your time and your care and your love because they are a unique creation. They are an expression of God's infinite character. They reveal a part of God's character that is eternally rare. And when we reach the chorus of heaven, if they are not with us, we will know it. Because we will not hear their voice singing around the throne of the Lamb. When my wife was pregnant with, with my daughter, our first kid, right? I remember just freaking out. Freaking out, right? There's, some of you all think you know panic, right? Like exams, stuff like that. That's panic. Real panic is like, I've got to keep this human alive and also hope they don't turn out to be a turd. Right? That's panic, okay? I remember sitting in my office and just praying. I'm like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I can barely get my pants on right in the morning. and you giving me a kid? And then he, he said the most uncomfort- uncomforting thing I've ever heard, Right? Like, you know, you think like, Holy Spirit, his name is Paraclete, he's going to be a comforter. No, 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 not in this moment. (laughs) You know what he said to me? He said, you have no idea how big a deal this is. Your daughter is going to show a part of my character and my personality that has never been seen before and will never be seen again. Completely unique in all of human history. What an honor. I just wept and wept and wept. A few weeks later, I was walking across campus and I walked past the quad area on the campus of Sam Houston State, and it's where all the frats and the sororities would would hang out. And I got so angry. I got so mad at him. I remember praying on my way to the library, Lord, burn down the frat houses. They're just factories of wickedness. I'm just mad. And as I reached for the handle of the door to get into the library, the Lord stopped me. And he said, if it's true for your daughter, why isn't it true for them? I was avoiding them because my discomfort was more important. It's true for every single one of you. You all have a sacred image of God to bear. That makes you infinitely important, but it makes the person next to you just as important. They're worthy of your time, care, and love because they are an eternal soul that you're either pushing towards heaven or hell. There's a mathematical concept called an infinite series where you are either, you're either adding a positive sum or a negative sum. And as you do that, that number either approaches infinitude or it approaches zero. And that's the reality of our actions. We are either adding to someone or subtracting from someone. When we use people for our own selfish ends, to stroke our egos, or maybe we don't deem them worth being in our lives, we drive them one of two ways. Every action, every choice, every word, every thought pushes someone closer to the arms of the Father or closer to the edge of a pit of never-ending despair. They are worthy of your time, care, and love because they are a child of the King of heaven and earth. Every single one of us For every single one of us, it is God's desire to rule with us. He gives us the dignity of royalty, unearned and freely bestowed. We are kings and queens of heaven by the birthright of Jesus and deserve to be treated with honor. But some of us use each other for our own pleasure some of us use each other to look good in front of other people. Some of us treat each other like a mere object. They are worthy of your time, care, and love because Jesus thought enough of them to die for them and no servant Is greater than their master. So if Jesus truly is your king and savior. And you treat someone like they are less. Than what Jesus does. You are putting yourself above Christ. And considering your judgment higher than his. I want to note here. That Jesus died for the world, and yet the world isn't saved. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of lost people out there, right? There's a lot of brokenness out there. But Jesus came and died for the whole world. So that tells me something. That I am to love the world like Jesus loved me, regardless of their response. Regardless of what I get out of it. He died not to try and get them into heaven. He died because simply they were worth it. And in that thought, in that statement, there's not one ounce of self-preservation or self-benefit. You cannot find it because Jesus was selfless. Jesus gave himself. For the world. He died for the world. He died for us. He came down off the throne of heaven, off of his comfort and perfection and all that was great and good in the universe, and came down and walked in the mud and was crucified and died because you're worth it. No matter the personal cost he suffered. And if he be our master, and we his servants, then we should do no other thing than he did. When compared to these truths, your comfort or happiness being the prime objective seems petty and small. But you may be thinking, isn't this, if I really live like this, if I really love somebody regardless of what they do to me, isn't that a surefire way to get hurt? Yes. It hurt Jesus when the nails went through his hands. It hurt Jesus every agonizing time he had to push up on the spike through his feet. And his tendons would be shredded just so he could take a breath for you. For the person next to you, for that person that upset you, for that person that bothers you, for that person that doesn't treat you the way you think you deserve. When we seek to preserve our life, when we seek for our own chief happiness, When we seek to protect our heart from being hurt by others, we are ultimately telling Jesus that we don't trust him to protect us. Did you know he promised to protect you and heal you? Did you know that? You don't have to worry about it. John chapter 10 Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I laid down my life for the sheep. The way that I am asking us to love one another will get you hurt. But we must trust Jesus that he will heal the wounds we receive. We must love one another Simply because they are worth it. Let's have the band come back up. So there was a young man among us. He left Caiapha a couple weeks ago. And when he was asked why he was leaving... He said it was because he was tired of the high school drama and the pettiness. He said that about believers. But we're supposed to be a family of believers. And he said that about us. But from what I have seen and heard, I think he was right. And I don't blame him for leaving. And if he never comes back, I still would not blame him. Because his heart recognized that we were just a group of people that did not know how to truly love, honor, and value one another above ourselves. Until we recognize that the person next to us, the person in our small group, that person that's in Chi Alpha that's really hard to love. Until we recognize that they deserve our love, not because of what we get out of it, not because of how they make us feel, or not because they make us happy or whatever. When we recognize that they deserve our love simply because they are in the image of God and have value and worth in and of themselves, until that moment, God will not bless Chi Alpha. We will not reach the campus. There was a preacher and he's praying for revival in his country. And the Lord said to him, I'm not going to trust you with my bride until you love your bride better. God's not going to trust you with the lost around you until you love the saved next to you dear friends let us love one another for love comes from God everyone who loves has been born of God and God and knows God whoever does not love does not know God because God is love this is how God showed his love among us He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins dear friends since God so loved us we also ought to love one another What John is saying is the proofs in the pudding. The way you treat the people around you reveals how much you love Jesus. So Jesus has this command in Matthew chapter 5. He says, If you go to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go and be reconciled. God won't accept your worship, He won't accept your gift, He won't accept your offering. If you're not right with the people around you. So I've got a big ask. Some of you in here know what I'm talking about. Some of you in here need to say sorry. And I encourage you to do so in this time of worship. New people, you're fine. You're great. We love you. We'll give you hugs. Are you new? Is this the first time? I'm so sorry. The Holy Spirit put your, put his finger on some of you. Some of you have things that are publicly known that you need to apologize for. Some of you have said things or thought things in, in the darkest recesses of your heart that you need to say sorry for. God will not trust us with the campus if he can't trust us with our brothers and sisters. The people around you are worth it. They're worth looking dumb for to say sorry. What's more important? The person next to you? The person that you hurt? Or the person that hurt you? Or your pride? I'll go back to the sermon again if I need. So, as the worship team plays... I dare you to have the backbone to say sorry. I dare you. If you need to come to the altar, it's open. The altar is just this area up here. There's something about getting up out of your seat, coming up here, physically moving. There's something about it that changes your attitude. If you need to do that, do that. If you need to say sorry to someone, find them now. We're going to pray. The band will start praying, start playing. And then I, I want you to get out of your seat and say sorry if you need. Don't neglect it. Jesus commands it.